right, folks, you are listening to the Eshai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world, and you're a part of it wherever you are. And welcome to the Land of Israel Network. Today's show is not going to be such an easy one, at least the first part, and that is because I'm going to bring you sounds from the house of Hallel Yaffa Ariel, who was murdered, slaughtered uh, by a horrific act of barbaric terrorism. And you're going to be there with me in this, um, in this house that is uh, a shiva house, a mourning house, where all kinds of dignitaries and other people are coming in. And you're going to be there with me. And uh, the intensity that the community of Kiryat Arba, right next to Hebron, the sister community of Hebron, uh, deals with. And after I, I, um, th- this very day that I recorded this interview was the day after the funeral. And also this, on this day... Uh, there was yet another funeral uh, for um, Rabbi Mark, who was Mickey Mark, who was uh, murdered also in the southern Hebron Hills. And all this together is the effort of the terror to try to weaken us, to, to, to bring fear into our hearts, to cause us to be distant from places like Hebron, from our forefathers, from our ancestral homeland, from our connection to God through this land. And they're trying to sow fear into our hearts. We won't let them. So let's together listen to the strength of the Jewish people, and especially this show is dedicated to the strength of Jewish women, because uh, from here on you're going to hear interviews just of Jewish women. First we're going to be at the Shiva house, and then afterwards we're going to hear from three young women who have dedicated their young lives uh, to Aliyah, to helping Jews come to the land of Israel. So let's go to the Shiva house uh, in Kiryat Arba, to the Ariel family, uh, who saw uh, such a horrific crime happen to their daughter and the darkness that tried to destroy, uh, just tries to destroy the Jewish people and the light that comes out of the Ariel house instead. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. I have to speak in hushed tone right now because I'm in the house of Halel Yaffa Ariel, who was the little girl, 13 and a half year old, just finished eighth grade, who was murdered viciously by a terrorist, a young terrorist, 17-year-old, who jumped over the fence here in Kiryat Arba, jumped uh, through a window into her house, and then slaughtered her um, with um, tens uh, of, uh, of knife slashes, uh, even turned her over and stabbed her again just to make sure that she was finished. Uh, her, uh, her adopted father walked into the house uh, when he realized what was going on and uh, when he was alerted to the fact that there was a, a terrorist in the area and he was the first to see uh, his adopted daughter in, in such a state. Right now we're in the house. It's the Shiva house. Um, and there's a lot of people here, the Knesset members, streaming through uh, important people. The president of Israel is coming in a few minutes. The prime minister has been here. There are rabbis. There are neighbors. There are, there are, there are friends. Uh, the, the scene is a little bit mad. And the bedroom where this took place is being colored right now by, by children. And, and there's heated conversations about should we be here, should we not be here, how do we fight these bad guys? And of course, the, the, the mother, Rena, a very vociferous and, and kind of dramatic person who, who's just not holding it inside but letting it all out and telling us. The worst thing I heard her say just now was that she is being comforted by others right now. When she gets out of this shiva, she's going to have to go to other shivas to comfort other people who have already been murdered since the murder of her daughter. I'm standing here with a friend. And a person who's an expert in security, uh, security of the Jewish people, especially in these parts. His name is uh, Mark Provisor. He's the director of security projects at One Israel Fund. And he's here to do two things. One is to be Menachem Avel, to console, but also to make sure that he doesn't have to console again because he's here already scouting the area and making sure that it's safe and, in some sense, taking the place of... Um, what hasn't been done till now, or what's not being done, which is making sure that this place is secure. But even he will probably admit that this is not going far enough. Mark, we're in a corner in this uh, Shiva house right now, uh, at the REL house in uh, in in Kiryat Arba. Uh, the nerves are afraid. We're on the edge here. That's for sure. Look, you know the challenges that we've always been facing are beyond uh, beyond conception and we have to see how we're going to continue and not be broken as you said number one but how we're going to increase the security here how we're going to be able to fill the gaps and uh, not just make sure that this doesn't happen again but also send a message to those that do not want us here that we are here to stay and never again never again and that also 
never again is not just an emotional state, it's also a physical state, the ability to defend oneself. Certainly, whenever I ask you about security, you always look up to God and say, you know, he's really in charge of security. But still, part of Zionism uh, and part of the modern state of Israel is the return to our ability to defend ourselves and the ability to strike fear into the heart of our enemy in a physical sense as well. What are you going to be doing here to check out to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again? I'm going to be doing what I always do here and all the other places in Yudan, Shimron. I'm going to be looking for the gaps, see where we can fill in. It should be said that the IDF, the Ministry of Defense, do plan on doing whatever they can do, but uh, we're going to work first. We're going to work first and uh, going to be going over the assessments with the security chiefs, with the medical chiefs, and so on. And we're just going to look what lessons we've learned. And we at One Israel Fund are going to fill those gaps. It's not a thing of saying if or whatever. We are going to do it. We are going to do it now. And fine, when the IDF comes in, okay, call Yevorach. Everything will be blessed, every effort. But we're going to make sure there's a difference already by this evening. I promise that. The differences and the, and the measures that you can take are oftentimes defensive. Uh, we can't go into it, but 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 the real problem is, and here now I want you to shift hats away from your job uh, at One Israel Fund, what you do around Judea and Samaria, all over different communities. But we both know that there is a growing Nazism that is happening right next door. One of the things that I've said in some interviews is that even this horrific, monstrous young murderer was himself a victim of a propaganda that he grew up with from inception. A hate, a, a bloodlust, a, a horrific, a horrific uh, subject. Uh, supremacism over the Jewish people and our rights. That is growing in our midst right now. A horrible jihad. What are we going to do about that? Well, first of all, we have to, it's not just now. This is something that's been taking place really since Oslo. In fact, one of the first things that the conditions what they stop the incitement. The incitement's not stopping. It's growing. And until, the, until we start doing that, nothing's going to happen. And you're right. This kid was not just a victim of that, but he's a victim of child abuse. He's been trained to do this. He's been trained to die, basically. They are, they are, this is what they're being told. I wouldn't even call it Nazism, really. Why, why, why put a German label on it? This is Islamism, and, and I am not an Islamophobe. But this is what th- these kids are being taught and everything via Facebook and having their facts distorted. No one's doing anything. Where is the world coming out against this hatred? The world is not there. We are here alone. That's it. The Jewish people have always been alone. And that's why it's up to us to stand up, stand up strong and let them know this will not go on. And I implore the government to stop sitting, as you know what I would say, and get moving and start being proactive more than what they've been. Mark Provisor, Director of uh, Security Projects at One Israel Fund. Thank you so much for being with me at this very, very edgy moment uh, in this house. And you can hear the conversations to the side. There's, there's yellings, there's, there's anger. There's almost no, we don't even know where to turn our emotions. But there's strength, and that's what has to be said. The one thing that you come into this house, and obviously there's anger, there's sorrow, there is incredible, incredible strength, and this is what our people are. We are not the victims we have victims, but we are strength, and that's what people have to see. Every shiva house I've been to from an attack, that is what I've seen, is incredible, incredible strength. The Arabs don't understand. You would have hit us. We're just going to go stronger. That's the way it is. All right, folks, Yishai Fleischer Show. I'm here at the Ariel house, the shiva house, of a little girl, a beautiful little girl, whose name was beautiful. Her name was Halel, which means praise. Yaffa is beautiful, and Ariel uh, is, the, is the name of the Temple Mount, is the name of, of Jerusalem. It's the name of the strength of Israel. And instead, this little girl was murdered in her house, in this house that I'm standing in right now. As I look out right now from the house, from the back porch, I see the beautiful rolling hills of the, of the Hebron region, the Hebron Mountains. And I see uh, grapevines that were actually grown by her stepfather, by her adopted father, excuse me. And what a beautiful, uh, what a beautiful place, what a peaceful place. And yet right now it's surrounded by soldiers. We're waiting for the president of Israel uh, to come and, and be part of this uh, shiva, this uh, cons- consolation. And uh, I have the unpleasant privilege of speaking to a, a nice lady who, who, who seems like a, a regular bubby, a regular safta. And she is the grandmother uh, of Hallel, uh, the mother of Rina and other, uh, I think, four sisters and one brother. And uh, Safta, how are you? I, I wish we could meet at different times. What, what is this all about? This is all about that a 17-year-old murderer 
came through the window while my granddaughter was sleeping in bed in the morning around 9 o'clock and slaughtered her in bed, stabbed her so many times that her room looked like a slaughterhouse. And he came into the house. She was sleeping after performing the night before in a dance group that she was part of, that she was so happy to participate in. And she was sleeping uh, after the dance group. And he came in and he literally slaughtered her in the house. And he went all around the house looking for other people. Luckily, luckily, no one else was in the house. And there was a warning that somebody had come into the area here. So the rapid response group came and they my son-in-law who's part of it broke in and they found Halal stabbed to death but the terrorist was still in the house he was walking around looking for other people and then he hid when he heard them and when they came in and my son-in-law screamed because he saw Halal he came out of the room and he tried to stab them and luckily someone was behind him and shot him but it's a horrible terrible thing that a 17 year old murderer who's worse than an animal, can come into a girl's bedroom, 13 and a half year old, and murder her in her bed. What is there to say? Nothing more to say. Well, some people would say, you know, maybe we shouldn't be here. And some people would say um, that we're the bad guys. And some people would say uh, that we have to put up bigger walls. There's all kinds of things that, that people say. You know, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of emotion here. And this is not a tragedy. It's a crime. It's a horrific crime. How are we supposed to... One of the questions that's happening here all over, you know, recurrently in this, in this Shiva house is, what now? How do we deal with this? And what, what, is, what is our response? And, and how, how are we supposed to uh, deal with this pain? Look, I know that there's been a lot of people visiting uh, members of parliament and the prime minister and all kinds of other people that visited, people with authority. And every time something like this happens, nothing is done. They come in and they express their condolences and then they go out and nothing happens. And the same day that the funeral was held, another man, a father of 10 children, was murdered on the way home with his family. Nothing is done. I, if the government doesn't decide to do something drastic to stop this slaughtering, because it was a slaughter, it wasn't a murder, it wasn't a break-in to steal something. This boy came in viciously stabbing her more than eight times in her beautiful body, and she was a gorgeous little talented girl who was just starting life. She was just accepted into high school, and she was... There's, there's no words to say. There's no, there's no con condolences that anybody can really say that's going to make a difference. You've raised uh, very strong children. Uh, your daughter, Rena, has been, instead of being kind of in, you know, withdrawn or somehow uh, seemingly broken, she has expressed a tremendous amount of strength and broadcasted very loudly f from the funeral itself to the Shiva house. And I've heard her even today, and I, and I know your other daughters as well. Tell me a little bit about how you raise these these people uh, in such a way that they are willing to to not only live on certain edges, but also promote and, and, and be the strongest kind of Zionists and lovers of Israel that I know. Look, the girls were raised in a... Orthodox Zionist house. We came to Israel in nine, uh, 1970. I came with two little children. Rena was the oldest. They went through the um, Zionist, religious Zionist education here in Israel, elementary, opener. They went to Barilan. They did national service in various places. They got BAs. They got MAs. They're all educated. They all have very large families. I have 24 grandchildren, and they're all raised in this atmosphere that you contributed to community, you contributed to society, and that's what they all do. How, how it happened, it's them. It's not me. It's them. And as you're sitting here today on the edge of, of this house, on the balcony, overlooking these uh, fields, these beautiful fields, is there, is there a sense of, um, what's your sense inside? I don't want to put words into your mouth. Is your sense, is there any kind of d despair, anger, uh, any doubt? Or, or, or are we, you know, same str str strong and stronger from what just happened? There's no doubt that I'm living in Israel by choice. I'm here 46 years. My family is, we're all great. Uh, my family was raised here. It's not a matter of doubt. It's a matter that something has to be done to stop the slaughtering. This has been going on for years, but recently it's become worse. We're 
children, Arab murderers, come and stab people in the streets. That means they're being raised to be martyrs. The mother of the boy who stabbed my granddaughter went on television to praise her son. What a great guy he was because he, mar he ma managed to murder my little granddaughter and now he's going to heaven. So what can you say? Something has to be done. Their culture is a culture of death. Our culture is a culture of life. Now is Ramadan, their holy month. They should be praying. They should be asking for forgiveness for whatever. And instead, this is the time when they go out and murder. How can a 17-year-old boy be raised in a house where he can sneak into a girl's room with a knife and stab her all over that there wasn't a part of her body that wasn't stabbed? That by the time she came to Shari Tzedek Hospital, there was nothing for the doctors to do. So uh, there's nothing to say. Something has to be done. First of all, to change their education. It can't be a little child from age three is being educated that murder is his goal in life. That to murder a 13-year-old girl makes him a martyr that he's going to go to paradise. Something has to be changed in their whole way, and it won't be because that's how they're brought up. I don't have answers, but we have a government, and the government rules, and the government should think of a way to contain this. It just can't, can't go on that a father of 10 is murdered, that a little girl 13 is murdered, that the Fogel family was murdered a few years ago where they slaughtered the parents and a baby in his crib, and nothing happened. So I, I don't have solutions, but the government should be doing something. Last question. What about uh, our brothers and sisters in America and, and, and places far away from the land of Israel. You chose in 1970 to make Aliyah, to make your life here. You don't look that different than any grandma in Brooklyn. Tell me, tell me what your message is maybe for American Jewry or Jews outside of the land of Israel. Look, everybody has to make their own cheshbon, as they say. But from what I see, what's going on in the world today, the only way to raise Jewish children is to be in Israel. You can't be in France, you can't be in England, you can't be in any of these countries today because there's anti-Semitism and the children are brought up with fear. My children, my grandchildren aren't afraid here, even though terrible things happen. This is their country and this is the way you can raise children that are healthy. My grandchildren are healthy children here. They play, they go to school, they ride their bicycles, they do everything that children are supposed to do. And that's my message. If people can do it, they can come to live in Israel. It might be beginning financially difficult, but money isn't everything. The future of your children is here in Israel. Powerful words said at the Shiva of uh, young Hallel Yafa Ariel, who was murdered right in this house as we're standing here right now and surrounded right now by Israeli soldiers. The president of Israel is coming. And uh, at the same time, as, as I'm talking about the soldiers and all that, I see a group of young girls, your, your same grandchildren, jumping right now in a, in a big trampoline and, and just um, living their, their life in joy and in normalcy in the hills of Judea. Safa, what's your name exactly? My name is uh, Penina Aronoff. Penina, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. All right, folks, I'm still at the Shiva house of Halal Yafa Ariel. And uh, just, I'm, I'm right in the thick of, of this Shiva house. And the intensity that's here is so palpable uh, because, again, the, the, the giant questions of our time are being asked here. Should Jews li live here? Do they have a right to live here? Are they stirring up trouble? What is Islam? Or is this Islam? Or is this jihadism? Or is this an individual who did this? What is the responsibility of the government? How much power should they, how, what, should they act stronger? What about international pressures? It's all right now here in this house right now. The, 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 the horrific murder of this little girl. And as we're sitting here just out the window, you could see the beautiful rolling hills of Hebron, the Hebron Hills. It's, it's in some sense the most natural and organic place of the Jewish people to be at. And yet in this house, nothing is natural. Everything is upside down. And yet on another turn, it is all natural. Somehow the Jewish people have come to this house to give strength to somebody who has had loss. We all feel it. All kinds of other mothers who have gone through similar situations have come here. Knesset members have, have uh, you know, uh, uh, shown tears. Uh, the prime minister was here. There's something so organic also about how this pain is being suffered. I'm here 
I'm here with Yael, who is uh, one of uh, Rina's sisters, one of four sisters. And uh, as we heard before, th- there's something about the, this group, this family, very strong, especially the women of the family. And also Yael and your uh, sister, Siporo, who lives next to me uh, on the Mount of Olives, you folks are very involved also in the issue of the Temple Mount and the rights of Jews on the Temple Mount, which, which dovetails exactly with this issue here, with this horrific murder, our rights, our Jewish rights, our rights to our ancestral homeland, our right to, to live and, and, and pray and, and, and to grow in this land in a horrific anti-Jewish ideology which doesn't want us to pray on the Temple Mount and doesn't want us to come to Hebron and, and changes the name of the Temple Mount to, to something else and changes the name uh, of of the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs to the Ibrahimi Mosque which we're not really supposed to go in under, under their tutelage and UNESCO and UN- international bodies that support these ideas. Yael, um, at the funeral there was a lot of talk about the Temple Mount. Uri Ariel talked about it, and other people talked about it. What is, if we step back right now from the actual physical murder of this little girl, what is this? What is the issue all about in this house right now, and that the Knesset members and the President of Israel is coming in a minute is really discussing? If we talk about Halel, she was very part of all this uh, organizations that's called Women for the Holy Temple, Nashim Leman Beit Hamikdash. Uh, she used to go up to the Temple Mount. She was part of all this uh, geula, coming up, going up to Harabait. She used to go up from when she's a baby. Uh, I think we're all part of it. We all want a better, peaceful life. We all think there's something going around here that has to have another step in the geula. I mean, all of us are living in the country, building our homes, building our uh, fields, having a, uh, building up big homes and houses and we feel there's another step and we're some kind of in a some kind of a uh a sleepness and we don't know uh, someone has to come and awaken us up when we go in harabite we feel this we feel the voice that's telling us to get up we feel this voice that tells up uh, tell us uh, I, when I go wake up my children, there's some ch- kids that I have to wake up and tell them, and I tell them a nice thing and they get up. And some kids, I just have to, you know, some ha- something to do uh, much stronger in order for them to wake up. I feel what happened now with Alel is something very strong. Something that's, we're in a sleep and it has to tell us to get up, to do something, to build the Holy Temple. That's the next level. The murder came out from the voices of the Holy Temple. For what he heard of the Ramadan, for what he's hearing from his kindergarten, what my sister's mentioning, what he's hearing from his teachers. These are the voices where he came out. He didn't come out from the blue moon. He didn't come out as any murder or looking for something in the house. He came from a specific aim just to murder in a in a religious thing. I think that we have to awaken, awaken ourselves and I, I, uh, my sister mentioned it, and we're mentioning that the land over here, we have to recognize this is our land. This is our place. The Temple Mount is our land. This is the best land. Ha'aretz HaTovah me'od me'od. Also the holy place and also the, the, where we all live in this Jewish place, in the Jewish country, every place we go. And yet, and I hear your sister being very loud and, 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 and really using the death of her daughter as a kind of platform to get this this message out so that's that there will be that shock that you're talking about like wake up somehow and yet when you talk to people you get a sense like your mom that there's a cynicism that it's probably not going to happen because it's happened before these kind of horrific murders happened before and and one understands that maybe the government isn't going to lead that revolution and then somehow they're kind of a slow even heavy uh, uh, thing that we have to carry forward it's almost like we have to carry our government. Our ca- government is not carrying us to some extent. That's certainly true about the Temple Mount. Look, I'm a kindergarten teacher, and I, I believe in education. And I think, uh, especially as women, we have a lot to educate. These things have to be said. How long will it take? How long things will be awakened by people? How long people will recognize this thing? I don't know. I don't know what's also God's step and how things will be led in Geula. But in order for people to get also the Holy Temple, they have to prepare their hearts in order to get it. They have to feel it. And I think when we're going through this place, people are feeling things. People are coming over here from all over the country. Say, I felt so strong what you're saying. People are starting to feel something in their hearts. It's so important. Uh, 
it's so hard to say it that Halel is the victim. Halel is the innocent victim for this thing. But um, this is what happened. And I think just to, to go and another day and to let the things go pass away and not to uh, just to say, oh, go, she was a wonderful girl and that's it. We have to shake in the country. We have to shake in the government, our leaders, to say, listen, Halel was here seven years in Hebron. David was seven years in Hebron, Melucha. Yonatan Netanyahu, the prime minister, you have now the, the, the part of it in order for you to do something from here, from Hebron, for all the country. And it's not, it's not for any you know, reason that it's starting from here. It's starting from very strong from here. Because it's a very strong place. And some will make it are more awakened. And some will are very slowly. It takes them more time. And it's okay. This is how people work. It's okay. Hopefully the people awaken will take it much quicker. Yeah, I just want to point out that you made one tiny mistake. You said that our prime minister is uh, Yonatan Netanyahu. That, uh, and the reason you said that is because we're almost exactly, tonight, in just a few hours, it'll be exactly 40 years since the Air France plane was taken to Entebbe. And that, moment, that rescue operation is this pinnacle of Jewish heroism. And I think that it wasn't such a mistake, but it was really a kind of call saying, and my wife came up with a hashtag that's like, what would Yoni do? What would Yoni have done at this moment? And it's not only rescuing Jews and defending Jews now. It's what you're talking about, taking it to a different gear, taking it to a different level, and embracing what's ours, and, and being, turning, and, and this is the Jewish people. We're sitting at a shiva house of an awful murder, and we're talking about the, the building of the temple. Yale, thanks so much. We should see each other at the Temple Mount. Thank you very much. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. Uh, some hard radio there, some hard sounds from hard moments, uh, but also with people who are um, also hard in the positive sense, which is that they're able to overcome this in some, some incredible way. And I came out of this house shocked, dismayed, and yet somehow strengthened, and I hope you do as well. You are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting on thelandofisrael.com. Special thanks to Ben Bresky for helping the show happen, and uh, my man uh, Moshe out of Idaho. Moshe the Idahoan, who makes so much good things happen for a show, gets it out to you, so thank you very much. Write me an email, yishai at thelandofisrael.com. Connect with me on Twitter, uh, on Facebook. You can... Uh, Connect me, uh, connect me even on LinkedIn, if you wish, at Yishai Fleischer. And, of course, check out our website, thelandofisrael.com, and the Hebron website, hebron.com. Now let's hear from three amazing ladies who have dedicated their lives, just like the ladies in the last half of the show have de- dedicated their lives to the rights of the Jewish people in the Temple Mount or coming home to the land of Israel. Listen to the next generation, young ladies, who have decided that we've got to help somehow uh, the land of Israel, the people who want to make the land of Israel make it. We want to be that lifeboat, help them up, help them make it happen. Before we go to that part, I also want to thank uh, the good people who make this show happen uh, in terms of supporting it. And I want to thank Jack and Lillian and Sarah, who are actually here in Israel right now uh, on an amazing bar mitzvah tour. I want to thank you so much for your uh, help to make this show happen. And I also want to thank my good friends, the Michels, who, who, who support the show and also support the efforts of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for being part of my life. Uh, and also, these are the waning moments of my birthday, and I want to thank and bless everybody who listens to the show and who has made uh, this radio that I make for you uh, important to you. Uh, and my good friend Tammy out in Singapore and other people, my good friend Eric, my good friend Andy, all, all folks all around the world who make me feel... Like, like this effort that I try to make for you means something and has an impact on your life. I want to thank you very much. I also want to thank Ari and Jeremy of thelandofisrael.com for, uh, for, for hosting this show and also for being my friends. So God bless all of you for, uh, for being part of a great story and thank you for being part of my life. It's an honor. Now, let's hear from uh, amazing young people who are changing the world because they actually have dedicated their life not just to make money or I don't know what, but they're really out there to give a helping hand, especially to the great honor, privilege, mitzvah, and and a unique moment of our time, and that is Aliyah, coming home to the land of Israel. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. I'm here 
in Jerusalem, broadcasting live to the world, and you're a part of it wherever you are. I'm at the Towards a New Law of War conference. This is the Shurata Dean organization, which sues the pants off of places like Iran. Bad folks all over the world seizes their assets. They really kick the assets of the bad guys. And I have a lot of respect for what they do. And we've heard a lot of interesting lectures and talks and panels about uh, such, such uh, challenging issues as the narrative warfare uh, uh, incitement on Facebook, how do we shut it down. We've also heard an interesting lecture, uh, actually a panel about Judea and Samaria, how is this land or this territory different than all other territories, a cute title. We've heard a lot of interesting things. And one of the reasons that uh, I come out to conferences like this, other than uh, I act like I'm working for the day, but instead I get to enjoy uh, fantastic speakers and understand the issues that are around us, is actually to meet people. That's what conferencing is really about. You meet a lot of good people. And one of the things that I noticed at this conference was, as usual at conferences, there's a lot of folks who are a bit older. And that's great uh, because they have you know, time. They care about these issues. They have a lot of experience and depth in these issues. But sometimes I wonder, where's the young people? They're the ones who actually need to understand this the most. And at this conference, there are a bunch of young people, and some of them actually came up to me, and they came to talk about the conference a little bit, but then they started telling me about what they do. And I was amazed to bump into three amazing young ladies who are involved in maybe one of the greatest issues of our time, which is the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. And returning to the land of Israel is not just a theory. Uh, It's not just an emotional thing. It's not just prophecy and Bible and religion. It's also about the nuts and bolts, making it really happen. And kind of reminds me a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, do you remember that movie Titanic? You know, the folks are kind of swimming in the frozen water at the end there, and somebody's like bailing them out, pulling, pulling them onto the life raft, right? I don't mean to be, uh, to in any way scare you. Israel is not a frozen northern Atlantic. What I really mean to say is that, is that there's a beauty also in helping your brother and sister who is in the Atlantic, across the Atlantic, Uh, get into the lifeboat, get into Israel. Now, how are you going to do that? You're going to help them, uh, sure, emotionally. You're going to make maybe a radio show that gets you information and thoughts. But these three young ladies have created organizations and companies that are actually helping the next generation make it here in Israel, tactically, on, on, on um, on the ground, Sure, they're filled with that motivation. Maybe they've been to birthright. Maybe they've uh, heard a, a talk by Nefesh Benefesh or something. But what about making it on the ground? And uh, these three ladies are doing two very different things, but they're connected. One is an organization called Here Next Year, uh, which is founded by Bracha and Penina Lam. And basically, it's for folks who are here for the year, uh, in the gap year, either in yeshiva or in a seminary or in the, the colleges. They're here in the gap year program, and they need, uh, they need a, a leg up. They need a, a helping hand to get into the IDF or Shirut Lumi, which is national service, or universities. They basically need understanding. I get the question all the time. I get questions all the time. Well, how do I, well, how do I go to the army? Well, how do I get into the university? I get that question all the time, and I kind of fudge it and say, well, you know, it's out there on the internet. Barilan's got this and that. Now there's going to be an address for you, and that's here next year. And we're going to talk about that. And then Yael Birnbaum, uh, she has started a company, which is called Worky, which helps former IDF soldiers, ones that were lone soldiers, just like herself, when they are discharged from the army, find a job. So she's a headhunter or, I don't know what, job coach, whatever you want to call it, uh, for folks who have finished the army. That's really important because their parents are going to say, you're not going to get a job. How could you move to Israel and go to the army? You're going to throw away four years of your time, three years of your time. You're not going to get a job. You're going to be poor. I'm not God here to support you forever. You're going to get a lot of these kind of uh, messages. So these two companies of young women, uh, or get one as an organization, one as a company, is an amazing thing. And I got a chance to, to talk with them here at uh, the Shiratuddin Conference. So let's start with Bracha and Panina. Ladies, how are you? Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Yishai. Thanks for taking time to notice the young people in the crowd. 
Um, I just want to tell you a little bit of the backgrounds of really how we started this organization here next year. Um, the two of us, my sister and I, um, Panina and I, we are from New York originally, and we um, went. We come from a loving Zionistic home. We really were brought up with these with these ideals of Zionism and a love of Israel and and a love of returning to the land and the Jewish people. Um, and we went through elementary school, middle school, Zionistic camps, high school, and we decided to do this gap year in Israel like so many of our peers before we went back to America for college. Um, and when we were here, we really fell in love with the land and decided we need to stay and we need to give to the Jewish people in Israel. We need to stay and serve the country. So we both decided to do Shirut Lumi, to do national service. Um, and we both chose to do national service in foster homes with um, children who were taken out of their homes because of abuse. Um, and so we, you know, we, you know, we decided we're going to stay. And then we looked around and said, okay, so how let, do we stay? Let me pause you for just one second, Bracha. Sure. I, I just want to explain... In Israel, there's the IDF, you could serve in the army, and then you could serve right. in an alternative system called the National, National Service, which is one or two years, where you get to do all kinds of good guy work, or good, guy, good gal work in this case, um, throughout the country, and this is just an example of that working with foster homes, folks that have been, kids have been taken out of their families because of abuse. Exactly. So there are Shirut Lumi options in pretty much any good good work you could do in, in Israel with the elderly, children, um, people with disabilities. Um, so we chose um, to do our Shirut Lumi, our national service in foster homes. So we looked around and we said, okay, well now how do we do it? And we had absolutely no idea. Um, we had no friends who were staying. We didn't really know people who stayed. We didn't understand the bureaucracy, the culture, the Hebrew. Um, we really weren't prepared for it at all. Um, and it was really was an overwhelm was very overwhelming and for a lot of our friends it was de a deterrent and they said you know what we're not dealing with this we want to stay but it's too complicated we're going back home the the deterrent is not fear and it's not anything else but just the confusion of bureaucracy and getting into that program so so a lot of times it's really the bureaucracy um and also just a lack of community and support a lack of friends who are staying a lot of our right. friends are going back to america our families are in america or in whatever country we come from um so we both um stayed to do sherry lumi after a complicated process of figuring out how to do it. It was an unbelievable year, challenging, meaningful, difficult, but really the best the years of our lives. Hmm? But both at the same time? So my sister did it a few years before me. She's three years older than me, so she did it three years before me. Um, and then when we stayed... Um, we, we finished Sherit Lumi and we said, you know, we love this land. We love our children that we worked with. We want to make Aliyah and make our lives here and make a difference here. Um, so we both made Aliyah. And then we chose to go to study college in Bar-Ilan University. Um, and we got there and we realized that there are so many people like us. There are so many people who came from English-speaking countries, um, came for their gap year to study, um, and then realized that they wanted to make Aliyah and stay in Israel. Um, and we kind of looked around and saw these hundreds of people who have stayed and said, why aren't these people connected before they're making this decision to stay? Why don't they know that there's going to be this support system for them, these friends for them? Um, and why is there no help with the bureaucracy before they make Aliyah? Um, so that's really where Here Next Year was born. Um, Panina can tell you a little bit more about um, what we do. All right, so pass the mic to your sister, Panina. Panina, three hey years there. older. You're, you're married, I can, I'm guessing, from the headgear and stuff <laughs> like that. And, and uh, so you went through this process of uh, Shirut Lumi, National Service, uh, then Bar Ilan, um, which are which are really a certain pathways to kind of normative life in Israel. Now Bar Ilan is very famous for its program, for its English speaking program. I know a lot of people who have made their aliyah through the Bar Ilan University. Today there's other universities as well. But you guys, the the you gals, the both of you have identified that people have a hard time knowing about those organizations, knowing about those pathways, and also knowing about each other, knowing about one another as, as people who potentially uh, share that, that same uh, pathway or want to share that same pathway and, and want to share those challenges as well. Exactly. So Here Next Year really addresses all the things that you just said. Um, what's amazing about this country is that there are so many organizations out there that help different parts of the population that we deal with. There, there are organizations that help Olim, there are organizations that help soldiers, there are organizations that help Benoche Root. And we're excited here to meet Yael, who works with soldiers. I can't wait to partner with her. Um, and the 
what we love about what we do is that we get to bring all of those organizations to one place in order to make it accessible and make the information accessible to all these students who are interested in staying. So by bringing... Not, not just the information, though. You probably also give a tad of guidance and a tad of experience into that as well. I mean, I just want to pause for a second. You know, today in media, some of the most successful media outlets are actually conglomerators. Uh, like the Huffington Post. What you're saying is there's a lot of information out there and you can kind of, you know, try to figure it out. When it comes together in one place and you feel safe, you can trust that place, you know it has experience, so you go to herenextyear.com and you're like, boom, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of plugged into all the various things and, and then from there, the spectrum splits off and you're going to find your pathway. Exactly. So we... Um, so that's one of the things we do and the other thing to that point is that we have... 100 volunteers that volunteer with us and they bring with them um, the experience of being in these gap year students' shoes just a few years before. So there's personal guidance, there's guidance from people who are just as passionate as these students and have made the same decisions that these students are making. Um, so that's the informational side is one side and then the other side is the community side. The feeling, as Bracha was saying before, of having people who, who you know will have your back, who are gonna be your family, who you know are choosing the same life path as you. Um, which is really powerful. And we see that, um, you know, we send out surveys all the time. And one of the biggest obstacles for people staying in Israel is the fact that they don't have a support system Pause here. Pause for a second. Surveys, you send out a lot of surveys. Tell me a little bit about that. We do. Actually, actually, after every event that we do, we send out surveys to determine how effective our programming has been and to determine what the obstacles are, what the deterring factors are for people staying in Israel, what kinds of information they want. Um, and that's kind of a way to gauge from our population what's needed. Um, and the very, nice thing- That's a very modern way of thinking. You have to kind of check where people are at all the time. And people have the ability to, to give you that information back, that feedback. And, and you're, you're not just kind of sitting on, not gonna be, you know, in tr again, in terms of media, we're not broadcasting one directionally these days. We're constantly getting feedback or ideas from wh whoever is out there listening and connecting. Exactly. So we, it's, it's very much a grassroots listening and responding to what's happening on the and ground. And getting probably new information as well, right? Exactly. Getting new information all the time and being in touch with all the different organizations. And the most amazing thing, I think, is that, as Bracha was mentioning before, there are a lot of people who decide that they don't want to stay because they're scared about the information, they're scared about not having their family here. So actually just last week, somebody called me and said, you know, I'm in Harova for the year. And that's a, that's a girl seminary. it's a girl seminary in Jerusalem. And she said, my friends have gone through your programming and the whole entire year, I, I knew I was a Zionist. I went to, you know, one of the Zionist camps and I knew I wanted to stay. But the whole year I just said to myself, it's just not gonna happen for me. I can't do it, I just can't do it. And after hearing about all these different girls who are doing national service or going to the army or going to university here, she finally decided that she could do it. So, you know, we're kind of seeing that proof is in the pudding that when people see their peers doing something, they want to do it too. And when you make staying in Israel cool and fun and exciting and a true exp expression of your passion, then it makes it more attractive for people. So it's just exciting to see. I call that encouraging courage. You're encouraging courage. You're giving people the courage. Last like night, that. yes, just yesterday. Yesterday, I was at the dentist's uh, for my little girl, my eight-year-old girl, and she was uh, afraid of the needle, blah blah blah, whatever, to get the uh, what's it called, sedative, the uh, Novocaine, whatever they use today. And the doctor said to her, he's like, "Look, I had a, I have a kid, uh, and she knows that the doctor is actually our neighbor." She says, "You know, my child." He said, "You know, my child uh, uh, wasn't afraid, and and you shouldn't be afraid either." And, and and she told me later, she's like, "When he told me that, I was like, yeah." You know, I'm not afraid. I shouldn't be afraid either. I just mean to say we encourage courage. We, we tell each other we can do it. I'm doing it. And, and we give each other courage when we're doing it together. And you mentioned also the kind of building of the, and I guess around the same point, you're building a kind of social network. And I don't mean a virtual social network, like actual social network. Remember, by the way, that social networks are not just virtual. They're actually real people connecting. <laughs> it's just a way, a different way of conversing. It's important. That sometimes people forget that. People say, when are, you know, they kind of diss it. My wife has a lot of friends on social media that are real friends because that's where she met them. In any case, uh, uh, when you have a society that, that encourages you, that gives you a sense that you're not alone in this journey. And let's remember that we're talking about being alone because we're talking about people who often are leaving their families, leaving them back in North America or England or whatever. We're talking about people who are taking a walk, if to continue the metaphor from before, off the plank uh, and into the water by themselves and to get a sense that, no, down below there is not the frigid waters of the Atlantic, 
but rather somebody's going to pick you up in that life raft. That, that gives people a very different feeling. So we're going to get right back to you. The website here is Here Next Year. Um, Am I right about that? Here Say next that. year, Israel. Here next year, Israel.com. Okay, fix me. There, there you go. Here next year, Israel.com. <laughs> I have to memorize it anyway because I'm going to have to give it out to people all the time. It's a great card, Please by the do. way. Uh, here next year, Israel. Of course, I'm going to give it out because I want to help them. I want to help them come home. I want to help them make it. Go ahead. Another great thing that you were talking about, you know, surveys and how to kind of modernize really this whole process of helping people. Another one of our, our big focuses is our website so that, you know, we're not only helping the people who are here in their gap year now, but if I'm in ninth grade and I'm thinking about staying after my gap year in four years so I can check the website. I see a step-by-step process of how to be involved. I see stories by people who are just a few years stories. older than I am. Stories. Stories of people that have made it. Mm-hmm. From it, my high school, from right. my hometown. From Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so when I was in the army, uh, I was a lone soldier. And at that time, lone soldier meant to be alone, okay? It was the kind of thing that it was, lone soldier at the time was a legal definition, Meaning to say, the army would be like, they would classify you as a lone soldier. It didn't mean a big like organization that's going to be behind you or various organizations. It didn't mean a lot of fun barbecues on Yomats mode. It didn't mean what it meant, means today. It didn't mean a lot of honor back in your high school. It meant being like, whoa, you, you, or you know, for my mom, it meant people being like, your son is where? He's put his life on the line from the IDF. And lone soldier meant loan back then. It wasn't, it just didn't have the, the status it has today. Also, it also meant being alone because there wasn't a lot of lone soldiers. There was just not a lot. Folks, this is 20 years ago, okay? Uh, there was not a lot of lone soldiers in uh, whatever it was. Uh, we would, when we would meet each other, we'd be like, wow. Like you, you know, today, uh, uh, when I work in Hebron, I'm meeting soldiers all the time. There is always a lone soldier, always, and an, oftentimes an Anglo lone soldier. There's other lone soldier categories, by the way, people who are uh, um, of broken homes and different things. There's different other categories, but what we're talking about here is Anglo, English speaking. Not lone, only. Not only, okay. <laughs> all right, so there you go. I yeah. will get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah help me understand what you're doing. Uh, you, you got a person who's a lone soldier. They're coming out of, uh, out of that experience. And they want to make it here in Israel. They don't have that same uh, pillar behind them, their families. Uh, they don't have that, that same Israeli uh, ex- uh, experience f- full on from like childhood. You've created a, a company in this case called Worky, which is there, which reminds me of like Prezi. Somebody just told me about a presentation uh, uh, a system called Prezi. Uh, I want to yeah, hear all, about that. All the names with Y now, that's, that's where that's, it's at. That's where it's at. <laughs> okay, y- Yael Birnbaum, you've created uh, uh, Worky in order to help uh, former loan, IDF loan soldiers find jobs in Israel. Help me understand what, yeah, what's the need there. That's precise. So my company is called Worky, W-E-R-K-Y. Uh, it's a brand new thing. Just started this four months ago, relatively. Um, and so, yeah, as to what you were just saying, um, we have grown. And it's really great to see that, that IDF loan soldiers today, uh, with respect to your your service and your time, um, there's much more going on. There's much more help. So I'm really proud of that fact personally. Um, there is a lot more financial uh, support during the service um, in terms of also living and accommodations. They really do, the IDF does a great job right now with loan soldiers. Uh, precisely what I do is the after, the, the post-army follow-up, I like to call. Um, and, just and, and this is a debate here in Israel about regular soldiers as well. Do they, do, they, do they find the pathway into the marketplace? And there's like courses and organizations that deal with trying to help a person get out of, a, a male or female, get out of their uniform and into civilian life. Just, just a, a little tad of a, of a parenthesis. It's not easy to get out of uniform and enter civilian life. There's right. a mental shift that has to go on there. I personally, one of the toughest mental times of my whole entire life was leaving the army. It was very hard for me to, to give back my weapon. It was very hard for me to give back my uh, fatigues. And that's because as a Jew and as an Israeli, I felt total uh, uh, a, a satisfaction religiously, emotionally, and, 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 and also as a defender of Israel, when I was in the, in the, in the IDF, the, and I also had respect. People honored you like a paratrooper. Wow, great. The minute I was out, I was just a regular schmo on <laughs> the bus. And that was, that was definitely a tough thing. Yeah, so as to that point, actually, our vision, Worky's vision, 
is to establish, sustain, and integrate former IDF loan soldiers into Israeli society. So this is something that people are kind of um, conflicted with. All of a sudden, getting into civilian life, it's not easy. A lot of these loan soldiers have the sudden burden, a financial burden of taking care of themselves, essentially. Now, I do want to get into the types of populations, because as you were saying before, Ishai, um, there are different uh, lone soldier sects. Um, there are the Israelis, about 50% are actually Israelis, native-born, um, and they have a very, they come from very tough backgrounds. They are not uh, supported financially by their families. They are not even supported, uh, period, by their families. Um, a lot of them come from uh, very ultra-Orthodox backgrounds and their families don't necessarily support them joining the IDF. Um, and you have a range of different people. Then I want to get into the Olim. Like you said, That's there's also the Anglo. Right. Just, just, just to give people a sense of that, we're talking about, I was, you're right, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize what you were talking about. Like, I was talking about uh, North American or other Anglo right. people, young people leaving their families, but generally they have their families at least respect. What you're talking about with the ultra orthodox are people who have chosen to go into the IDF, oftentimes against the philosophy of their families and of their neighborhoods, and and really of the the society that they come from, and they get cut off. That's a horrible thing. Right. So so this is a a, um, a very diverse crowd, and I think the thing that unifies them is that. They have the sudden financial burden and not necessarily are they supported by their family. And I say support also in terms of financial and also in terms of, you know, mental and emotional support. Um, so this is one of the things that they grapple with. They do need a job. One of the things that answers that, that need immediately is getting a job. Um, once you have a job, you can become that more uh, integrated into the society. So we do also want to deal with the Olim and also the native uh, Israelis, what have you. They're, they are all lone soldiers in Worky's eyes, and um, we're here to, to offer them jobs. Yeah, Al, you were uh, uh, an IDF infantry instructor. You, were, yes. uh, you taught how to shoot. You taught mostly men, maybe mm -hmm. some women as well, how to shoot uh, a missile. A certain kind of missile. We won't get into that, you know. Yeah. I, I could tell you guys, but then I have to kill you. <laughs> um, but uh, in any case, uh, you were you were part of that system of the IDF. Just quickly yeah. tell me why did you decide to go into this? And I basically, I want to ask the three of you. I'll start with you, Yael, uh, through Worky. You know, you could have you could have done a lot of different things. I, it's obvious to me that the three of you are are people that could be successful in any field that you would choose. Basically. Uh, what makes you want to choose to work through a company or an organization to, to give this helping hand uh, to your brothers and sisters, uh, wherever they may come from, either ultra-Orthodox or North, or North American kids on a, uh, under a gap year? What, what made you, in this case, Yael, uh, want to get into this business of helping people? Right. So like you said, it, it, it hits home. You know, it really does. Um, I was myself a former lone soldier. I was an infantry instructor. I was in a missile unit. And um, after the army, I, I found it almost astounding that when I would go for interviews, people really wouldn't care so much that I, I came here from New York. I'm also originally from New York, Rockland County. Um, and I came here, I served in the IDF as a lone soldier. I also came, by the way, with a degree. I studied economics at NYU. So I was very astonished to see that there wasn't such a great reaction to me in the marketplace, in the job marketplace. Um, and I sort of thought to myself, Chaval, you know, that's a shame because a lot of people come here with this passion and this motivation and these people are, are skilled and, and disciplined and um, very, very uh, qualified candidates for any job certainly and because the issue of experience maybe was a little bit lacking was to their um, right to their detriment so so that's where I wanted to come in and 
kind of provide something and and make the case with all these companies wherever you know with brand names with IBM Microsoft Checkpoint Security brand names say listen there's a huge population here that if you don't devote time effort and energy they're just going to leave if they have the ability have you found that 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 the the the, the let's say uh, have you found that the government or um, other other bodies, for example, Lone Soldier Center, are helpful to you, uh, understand what you're up to, want to help you? Or do you find the companies are getting it, that you're representing, in a sense, you're really being an advocate for a whole group that indeed has these passionate, uh, courageous attributes? For sure. So first of all, we are working closely with the Michael Levin Lone Soldier Center. Um, they're a great organization, one of the, the best um, that is dealing with the lone soldier community, offering uh, offering them meals, um, events. They have barbecues for Independence Day, all sorts of really great things. Um, and like Bracha and Panina were saying, there's a ton of organizations that deal with this population, with the lone soldier population. There isn't per se one thing that does uh, job placement. So here I am, um, as per the government and other bodies, there definitely is a, a sort of awareness. I mean, just last week, there was a, a conference or a meeting um, in the Knesset, in the uh, parliament um, in Jerusalem, where there was a specific meeting on the issue of lone soldiers leaving the army, how they can be integrated in a more uh, holistic fashion. Um, one of the leaders there is, is of course, a member of Knesset, Michael Oren, who is a great, uh, uh, someone who is super influential in, in this whole uh, topic of lone soldiers. Um, also, Itzik Shmuley was there. There are many great people, and we just need to know how to work with them, to connect with them, and get our story out there so that more and more people find us and say, hey, you sound like a great company. We, we want... We want to help you out. We want to be there for you. We want lone soldiers to come work at our companies because they're skilled. They speak various languages and they're highly disciplined. They've been through challenges that most of us can't even imagine. Um, and just to give you some background, I mean, the other day I spoke with someone who was in a in Sayatiel, which is a uh, engineer uh, corps uh, uh, special right. unit. Right, it's a special unit in the engineers. Um, and this guy was telling me, yeah, I came with an engineering degree. I served in this elite unit. And yet I couldn't find anything that would really keep me here, whether it's in terms of school or, or working while in school. And he said, I preferred to go back, study my MBA at Cornell and get, you know, all these things on my resume and start working at an international company before uh, uh, deciding what I'm going to do here. So I thought to myself, that's a real shame. You know, these people are super quality and I want them to stay here. I want them to really get into any kind of company organization and just live here because that's what we're here to do. We're all Zionists in this uh, way or another. Yael, how do people reach you? So right now we are currently working on our website, which is worky.co.il. Um, that'll be up hopefully God willing in the next month. Um, but they can certainly go to the Michael Levin Lone Soldier Center and ask for me, Yael Birnbaum. Um, and they can also email me at yaliburn at gmail.com. Very good. Okay, that sounds amazing. And uh, Bracha and Panina, you guys are reachable at herenextyearisrael.com. Bracha at uh, herenextyearisrael.com. And I guess Panina at uh, herenextyearisrael.com. Ladies, I want to tell you something. Um, I do a lot of interviews. Honestly, this is truly inspiring for me. I had to, I just, I had to pull out of the conference to try to ask you gals to come out of the conference in order to talk with you here. We're like in a back room uh, uh, behind the conference, and I just thought to myself, this is truly inspirational. This is truly an inspirational thing. Um, I started my Zionist, my pro-Israel work through an Aliyah organization called Kuma, 
and we did everything that we could at the time. You guys are taking it to way better levels. It excites me, you know, how serious you are with with what you said before uh, here next year, Israel, with with just uh, getting the surveys and getting the info and what you said about working with the government and Michael Oren. You know, this this it just it's just so exciting and so amazing to see you guys helping uh, the next generation of Aliyah happen. And I believe it. I believe that American Jews, North American Jews, and and, and uh, ultra orthodox Jews are going to be more plugged in, more at home. Uh, and more successful. Yes, Panina, last words. I just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to, to out of the conference to speak with us and to get the word out about what we do. Um, and we, just, we can't wait to work with Yael in the future. And yeah, thank you. And just to see the support that we get from people who, like you, who went through this, you know, 20 years ago, and here we are, you know, treading the same path, you know, but on your shoulders. And it's really a privilege to, to connect with all of you here. All right. Bracha and Penina Lamb from herenextyearisrael.com and Yael Birnbaum from Worky, both are a company and an organization trying to help people make it. And of course, they could, fa- they could find you guys probably on Facebook, connect to you, LinkedIn, sure, but if, if you're Yale through the Lone Soldier Center, you guys have your website already up. Anyway, continued success, and thank you very much for being with me here. Folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world. Write me an email, Yishai at thelandofisrael.com, and certainly you can connect to me as well uh, on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all at Yishai Fleischer, and also Fleischer at gmail.com. God bless you, all of you out there. Stay tuned, stay strong, and stay connected, and shalom. Rabbi Isaac Nissenbaum, one of the founders of the religious Zionist Mizrahi movement, wrote, The objective of Mizrahi is the total revival of our nation in all its aspects, to revive Judaism in our hearts and to revive our hearts for Judaism. The Land of Israel Network is powered by the Mizrahi World Movement. Do you like picking strawberries or blueberries in the spring and summer? What about grapes? If you were to take an experience like picking grapes and move it to the heartland of Israel, this is when an experience becomes prophetic. Young and old, singles and families are all invited on this adventure of a lifetime. I'm Joshua Waller with Hayuvel, and I invite you to join us on the mountains of Israel where prophecy meets reality. Go to Hayuvel.com, that's H-A-Y-O-V-E-L.com for more information.